And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. Good morning and welcome to Sandy Creek Stirrings, of course another episode here on the podcast. I'm excited that you chose to join me this morning and I'm taking about a week off. It may not show in the uh, in the actual episodes because we're a couple weeks ahead, but I took a week off so I'm glad to be back and recording and getting some episodes done and getting them out to you. Of course, it's Tuesday, Apologetics Episode Day, learning how to defend our faith and we've been on a mini-series entitled The Truth About Music. The truth about music, and music is such a big part of our lives. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, it it really doesn't matter in that sense that music is a big part of your life. It just is. People listen to, I believe we said four hours or five hours, something like that, a day of music. Music is a big part of people's lives, and it's something that, frankly, we need to discuss more as Christians. We need to discuss more because it's so big, but how do we know the music we're listening to is God-honoring and God-glorifying? And so up to this point, we've talked about some great aspects of music. We've talked about the the three central parts of music being the author or artist, the people around the music. We talked about the lyrics, the words of the music. And then we talked about the musical composition, the note, the beat, the rhythm, the timing, the melody. We talked about all those different things. And we asked in the first lesson, is music morally neutral? Is music morally neutral? Can music be either good or bad, or is it right in between? Is it neither? And uh, when we talked about it in the very first episode, we proved the fact that no part of music, no part of music, musical composition, uh, the lyrics, the, the people in the music, none of it is neutral. It is either good or bad. And therefore, last week in our lesson, we talked about the standards we judge our music by. And I want to just remind you of those briefly. Um, Our music should be different from the world. Our music should be different than before we were saved. Our music should stay away from any form or appearance of evil. Our music should be used to glorify God and draw attention to Him as its main purpose. Our music should be filled with the Spirit. Therefore, it should produce the fruits of the Spirit. Um, We talked about how music should be within God's set parameters of music. We talked about um, music. Our music should not have any association with the world or worldly Christians. Um, It creates a stumbling block to others. Number, I think that's all we talked about, number seven. Yep, that'd be all we talked about. And uh, the standards you should judge your music by, and if you want a more in-depth look at that, go back and listen to last week's episode, The Truth of Music Part 2, and we brought up all the Bible verses and proved it from Scripture why these should be the standards you judge your music by. And so today, though, for The Truth About Music Lesson number three, I have a topic that is discussed by some, but I think is often misunderstood by most Christians sitting in churches across America. And it can be very dangerous. And so I want to talk to you about that in today's episode. I want to talk to you about the Christian contemporary movement. The Christian contemporary movement. You've probably heard that phrase before if you've been in Christianity any length of time, you've been going to church, you've probably heard that term, the um, contemporary or the Christian contemporary movement, or sometimes called the contemporary Christian movement. And um, today I want to be very clear as we go in and talk about 
what can be called CCM, I want to be I want to be very clear to let you know that the word contemporary, the word contemporary simply means new. It simply means modern. That's all it means. If I wrote a song today, it would be contemporary. And so when I'm talking today about the Christian contemporary movement, I'm not talking about songs that are modern day, but I'm talking about a movement. I'm talking about a movement. It's something that has a beginning. It's something that we can point back to. It has a start date to it. I can point back to some influential people within the movement. It is a movement. It's not just a a word that I'm just taking out and using. I understand what the word contemporary means, but there is a Christian contemporary movement that is very dangerous. And really, really, you have to be careful. You have to be careful. Since the beginning of Christianity, people have tried to they've tried to mesh the world and Christianity. They tried to mesh the two together to make people worldly Christians. Let's just be honest. It does not work. Biblically, it does not work. It's not what God wants you to be. Uh, that just doesn't work. So what we're going to talk about today isn't new, but Christian contemporary movement, the actual movement itself, does have a starting point. And you say, I don't understand what is the Christian contemporary movement. And really what it is is it's people within music who claim to be Christians, or maybe don't claim to be Christians, but the majority of them claim to be Christians, but they want to use the music of the world and mesh it together. They want to use worldly music and try and mesh it with Christian lyrics and say that it's okay, and it's simply not, as we talked about in the past two episodes on The Truth About Music. It's just simply not true. You cannot mesh the two together. By meshing them together, you have something that is wrong according to the Bible. And so when we look at the Christian contemporary movement, I want you to see some things that you may be unaware of. We're going to go on a very short, very short history lesson real quick and talk about some prominent men within the Christian contemporary movement. So the first man I want to talk to you about is a man by the name of Lonnie Frisbee. Lonnie Frisbee, yes, literally like the little disc you throw around the yard, Lonnie Frisbee. And um, Lonnie Frisbee was really the critical aspect of the Christian contemporary movement and trying to mesh the music of the world and the things of the world with the music of Christianity and trying to merge those things together. And, um, you know, you're taking something that is cold, cold to the gospel, cold to God um, in the world's music, and you're taking something that's hot, you know, burning for God and, and good lyrics, and you try to merge the two together, what are you making? You're making something lukewarm. God says, I will spew you out of my out of my mouth. I'd rather you be cold, or I'd rather you be hot, not lukewarm. Not lukewarm. Hey, I'll tell you what. When I drink coffee, I'm not a huge iced coffee fan, but I'll drink an iced coffee every now and then. My preferred method is hot, but everybody knows, at least in my opinion, everybody knows that the worst kind of coffee is the stuff that is lukewarm disgusting. At least give it to me with some ice in it or something, or make it really hot. But lukewarm is just a no-go. It's the same with God. It's the same with God. He'd rather you be hot or cold, not lukewarm. And so the Christian contemporary movement, a key player within this movement was Lonnie Frisbee. Now, every fact, everything I'm going to tell you today, I have sources for, I can back up. I'm not saying anything that's my personal opinion, and I, I, I never do that. Okay, unless I tell you it's my personal opinion. I never do that on the podcast. I can always back it up with facts. And that's something you need to realize as well. When you defend your faith, you need to be able to defend it well. 
Like not just spout stuff off the top of your head and hope you're right. You need to back it up with facts and do your research. So if you come to anything and you're wondering if this is true today, simply contact me. Go to the contact page, sandycreekstirrings.com. You can go to our contact page and say, hey, you said this statement. Where can I find that? And I'll give you the source for it. I will give you the source for those statements. Um, So let's talk about Lonnie Frisbee. He was raised in a single mother home. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. But he was introduced to drugs and homosexuality at 15 years old. Drugs and homosexuality. At 18 years old, he joined thousands of flower children and hippies heading for San Francisco for what has been commonly known as the Summer of Love, which took place in 1967. Here's what Lonnie Frisbee described himself as, and here's one of those statements I'm going to tell you that we can back up. He called himself, and I quote, a nudist vegetarian hippie. That's what he called himself, a nudist vegetarian hippie. And so Frisbee would begin an unofficial evangelism career. But you'll find it didn't start because of salvation. It started because of an acid LSD trip. An acid LSD trip. He claimed that he often read the Bible during these sessions. And, and during one, when he would take this acid LSD and when he would have a, a trip, when he'd, be, when he'd be out of it, folks, he said that he would read the Bible, and one day he read, a, he read the Bible, uh, the Gospel of John, actually, to a group of people, and then baptized them at Takowitz Falls. And that was really the beginning of what he would call his evangelistic career. And he said that he realized somebody wanted him to preach when he had an acid vision of thousands crying out to the Lord, and he was preaching to them. Not a message of salvation, not a message of necessarily God calling him to preach, Unless you want to try and interpret that the acid was gone. No. No, it all started because of drugs. And I'm not saying that because that's my opinion. I'm saying that because that's the facts. Go back and read writings about him and the writings of himself, what he said about himself. And so once he realized that he needed to preach, he moved to San Francisco. He joined the Living Room Mission. The Living Room Mission, and he began to talk to people about what he felt was God. At that time, not only did he talk about Jesus, but he talked about UFOs, practiced hypnotism, talked about dabbling in occultism and mysticisms. And when Christian missionaries first met him, they said that he was talking about, quote, Jesus and flying saucers. Jesus and flying saucers. And so this is Milani Frisbee. This is a man who would become a key player within the contemporary Christian movement. And so there he married his girlfriend, Connie Bremer, and they began, quote-unquote, serving God. And so I want to introduce to you now, put Lonnie Frisbee kind of in the back. He's going to be continued throughout our story. But I want to bring you over to um, Santa Anna, or Santa Anna, I'm sorry. And there is Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel. He's going to be the next kind of player in this narrative. Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel. He was working with about 20 to 30 people when he met Lonnie Frisbee. In fact, their meeting of Lonnie Frisbee and Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel is recorded by like this by Matt Coker of the Orange County Weekly um, from an article in March 2005. He recorded this, quote, With his long brown hair, long craggly beard, dusty clothing, scent of Mary Jane, which is marijuana, and glint of his last LSD trip in his eyes, Frisbee showed up out of nowhere, literally on Chuck Smith's doorstep. This is how they met. This is how they met. They didn't, uh, yeah, this is how they met. And so Frisbee was brought into the church to preach and teach. You say, why would he be allowed to do that? I mean, he's a wacko, let's just be frank. 
Why would he be allowed to do that? Well, Chuck's wife, Chuck Smith's wife, had a vision about Frisbee. Here's what was said of this vision, quote, The Spirit of God came through a prophecy with K. Smith and said, Because of your praise and adoration before my throne tonight, I'm going to bless the whole coast of California. And when we started to receive the word as from God, the Spirit of the Lord fell upon us, and we began to weep, and the Lord began to give people visions of the prophecy, and then the Lord continued on to say that it was going to move across the United States and then to go into different parts of the world, end quote. Um, we'll talk about this more at a later time, but God doesn't speak through visions anymore, folks. Whether it be visions, whether it be dreams, whether it be prophecies, they shall all be done away when that which is perfect is come. What is the only perfect thing in the world? It's the Word of God. When the Word of God was completed, God doesn't speak through visions or dreams anymore. There's only, there's only one person who speaks through visions and dreams now, and it's Satan himself who can appear as an angel of light. I would have no qualms saying that she didn't receive a vision from God, but I wouldn't put it past Satan to have had a vision from Satan. So having had this vision, um, Kay and Chuck Smith at their Church of Calvary Chapel, they allowed Frisbee to immediately start teaching the Wednesday night services. And really, that service, as far as numerically, it blossomed. Frisbee led the Wednesday night Bible study. It soon became the central night for the church, and it attracted thousands. It attracted thousands. And Frisbee was attached to really a charismatic Pentecostal style. It did cause some to disagree within the church, since really he seemed more, um, more focused on experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit rather than teaching new converts Bible doctrine. And so in response to that, Chuck Smith, however, he, he took up that job. And so he said, you focus on experiencing the Holy Spirit, and I'll teach them Bible. Isn't that interesting? And so they began to invest. They began to invest in these things. And so Frisbee's appearance, Lonnie Frisbee, his appearance helped appeal to hippies, those interested in youth culture. And Frisbee believed that the youth culture would one day play a, a prominent role in the Christian movement of the United States. And so shortly after... Lonnie Frisbee was put in charge of a rehab house called the House of Miracles. The House of Miracles. And it would eventually become just a series, really, of 19, um, 19 communal housings for hippies. And so this became the, the, the largest and longest-lasting communal group of the hippie Jesus People movement. And it had 100,000 members. 100,000 between these 19 um, communal housings for the hippies. And so from 1968 to 1971, Frisbee was a prominent leader in what is known as the Jesus People Movement. I'm sure you've heard of that before, but by 1971, the Jesus Movement had broken in the media. Major media outlets such as Life, Newsweek, Rolling Stone, they were covering it. And Frisbee, due to his prominence in the movement, he was frequently photographed and interviewed, became a very prominent person within the Jesus People movement. If you know anything really, though, about the Jesus People movement, let me encourage you to go back and do your research, it really didn't have a whole lot to do with the true Christ. It really didn't. In 1971... Um, Jesus' people movement was really doing well, but it was the same time when Frisbee and Chuck Smith parted ways. They split up. Frisbee was interested in signs of the Spirit, tongues, soul slaying, and the laughing revival, and that wasn't a 
direction Chuck Smith wanted to go in so much. He would dabble in it, but he didn't want to focus on it. In 1973, you'll find that the Frisbees divorced. Um, Frisbee's pastor had an affair with Frisbee's wife, and so, in fact, you'll find Frisbee mentions this in a sermon he gave at the Vineyard Church in Denver, Colorado, a few years before he died. And so things weren't going well so far as his life, and um, things were kind of going on a down trip, rather. Meanwhile, in May of 1977, let's advance forward a few years, in 1977, there was a man by the name of John Wimber. John Wimber, he was um, establishing the groundwork for what would become known as the Association of Vineyard Churches, would become known as the Vineyard Movement. And uh, he had experienced it, had witnessed the explosive growth of Calvary Chapel through Lonnie Frisbee. And he sought to build a church that embraced the healings and the miracles that had been previously taught, he felt like, but were no longer a part of general Christian life. And so he began teaching and preaching about spiritual gifts and healings, but Wimber held that it wasn't until May of 1979 when, during an evening service, that the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit took hold of his church. You want to know what happened in May of 1979? A man by the name of Lonnie Frisbee showed up and gave his testimony. That's when the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit took hold of the church. Since his early days in Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, uh, Frisbee had made a shift in his emphasis from evangelism, as we had seen before, to the dramatic and demonstrative manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so after speaking in this meeting, Frisbee invited all the young people, 25 and under, to come forward and invited, invited the Holy Spirit to bring God's power into their lives. This is a true story. True story. In fact, I'll quote from a um, somebody who recorded a story, that, a short history of the Association of Vineyard, Vineyard Churches, um, a guy by the name of Bill Jackson. He recorded this, and I quote, Witnesses say, It looked like a battlefield as young people fell and began to shake and speak in tongues. The young kids, many in junior high and high school, were so quote-unquote, filled with the Spirit, that they soon started baptizing friends in hot tubs and swimming pools around town. The church catapulted in growth over the next few months, and the event is credited with launching the Vineyard Movement. Launching the Vineyard Movement. And so both John Wimber and Lonnie Frisbee were integral, integral in the development of which would later become Wimber's Sign and Wonders Theology, and you can go research that out for yourself. But I want to bring you to this point. Remember how Frisbee had been introduced to homosexuality at 15 years of age? You remember how we mentioned that? His homosexuality during his quote-unquote ministry uh, was a bit of an open secret in the church community. Many knew that he would party on Saturday, Saturday night and then preach on Sunday morning. Some were unaware, though, of his other life. Eventually, some church officials felt that if Frisbee's, if he was unable to overcome this sexual immor immorality, it would become a hindrance to the ministry, and they were exactly right. He shouldn't have been preaching to begin with. In order, an article in the Orange County Weekly headlined the, quote, First Jesus Freak, and it chronicled uh, Frisbee's life. Matt, Cro Matt Coker wrote, he said this, quote, Chuck Smith Jr., 
says he was having lunch with John Wimber one day when he asked how the pastor reconciled working with a known homosexual like Frisbee. Wimber asked how the younger Smith knew this, and Smith said he had received a call from a pastor who had just talked to a young man, or I'm sorry, who just heard a young man confess to having been in a six-month relationship with Frisbee. Wimber called Smith the next day to say he had confronted Frisbee, who openly admitted to the affair and agreed to leave, end quote. So his homosexuality was quite known. Quite known. Frisbee died March 12, 1993, at the age of 43 after he contracted AIDS. And Lonnie Frisbee was a critical part in the Christian contemporary movement. You say, I don't necessarily understand. Well, let me give you the start the start of the Christian contemporary movement. Now that you know the players, let's talk about the start of it, the start of the Christian contemporary movement. Let's go back to the days where Lonnie Frisbee was still a part of Calvary Chapel with Chuck Smith. During that time period under Frisbee, they accepted the flimsiest of, or if, any profession of faith. When the new person began to attend, they encouraged them to take part in the music, whether they were really saved or unsaved. It didn't really matter so much. You just needed to be a part of the music. One of these groups was one of the first, if not the very first, uh, very influential rock group called Love Song. Love Song. They were converts, quote-unquote converts, of Lonnie Frisbee. Here's what they said, and I quote from them, of their arrival at Calvary Chapel. They said, quote, It was early 1970 when three of my buddies and I walked into a church called Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa to play some songs for the pastor at the suggestion of a young hippie preacher named Lonnie Frisbee. We were hippies who had turned our lives over to the Lord only days before, yet we had a few songs that we had written before we met the Lord. Did you hear that? We had a few songs that we had written before we met the Lord that were about God and Jesus. The pastor thought the songs were of God, invited us to play at one of the weekly Bible studies, and we accepted the invitation. We didn't know, how, uh, we didn't know much about what people called, quote, gospel music. We were just writing the same kind of songs we would write if we weren't Christians, but now we had Jesus to sing about. Isn't that interesting? That goes against the very standards we judge our music by. According to the Bible, goes against the standards we judge our music by when we talked about that in last week's episode. And so in the 1970s, in the 1970s, Calvary Chapel became home to 10, 10 of these pseudo-Christian hippie music groups who would take the world's music and try to apply lyrics about God and say that it was Christian music. Here's an example of another group. There was a group called the Children of the Day. Children of the Day, they were founded by Marcia Stevens. You've probably heard that name before. And so this is the testimony she gave of getting saved. This is her testimony. She had a vision of Jesus walking beside her by a deep blue river. And right after that vision, she wrote her famous song, For Those Tears I Died. That, that's it. That's how she got saved. Um, let me ask you, listener, is that how you can get saved? You have a vision, walking by a river, and you write a song, and boom, you're saved. You're on your way to heaven now. Mm, no. No. If you think it is, go back and listen to Biblical Salvation on our um, episode list, and I think it's one of the very first episodes, Biblical Salvation, and that's not true salvation. 
That's not true salvation. And remember how I said that Calvary Chapel during this time was accepting the flimsiest, the flimsiest of professions of faith, and uh, this was one of them. Take uh, Sandy Hefner, for example. She said, quote, I took my LSD, laid down on the floor a couple hours, and when I could get together to get up, I got up as a Christian. It's just that simple, end quote. These are, the t- these are the type of professions they were accepting. If you go back to Marcia Stevens, who we're talking about, in 1979, Marcia Stevens would break her sacred marriage vows and divorce her husband of seven years. She had two children, and because she had, quote, fallen in love with a woman. Yeah. After the death of her um, first wife, Marcia married Cindy Stevens Pino, whom she calls, quote, my wife. She joined the Fellowship of Metropolitan Community Churches in 1984, which is a homosexual denomination. In fact, she's a certified lay evangelist. And there she learned at this community churches, she learned that it's fine to refer to God in terms of inclusive female language, such as a, a goddess. She said in an interview, she said, quote, God will answer to whatever, end quote. Let me tell you, God won't answer to whatever. It's not true. It's just not. Marcia Stevens, she broke off from music for five years until somebody from the Metropolitan, Metropolitan, that's difficult to say, Metropolitan Community Church said she was made for such a time as this and began to write music again. And when she did, her first song was Free to Be. Free to Be. She wrote it for the 1985 Metropolitan Community Church's General Conference. The song proclaimed the heresy that God doesn't condemn homosexuality as sin, and that you're free to be whatever you want in Christ. Two other songs she wrote during this time were The Body of Christ Has AIDS and Love is the Only Law. She even started her own music label entitled Balm, Born Again Lesbian Music. And um, real story, folks, real story. You can see how they're integrating the world's things of the world world's music, world's lifestyle, and they're trying to incorporate it into Christian music. It does not work. It does not work. Here's what Mark Allen Powell of Trinity Lutheran Seminary says of Stephen's music. He has a book entitled An Encyclopedia of Contemporary Christian Music. He said this of Marcia Stevens, quote, The mother of contemporary Christian music continues to capture hearts for Jesus, Argue interpretations of Scripture and debate the ethics and origins of homosexuality all you want. No one with sensitivity to the things of the Spirit can deny God is using Marcia Stevens to bring the love and mercy of Christ to people whom God apparently has not forgotten. End quote. Interesting. It was around the, the time period, remember when Chuck Smith cut ties with Frisbee um, over signs of the Holy Spirit. Smith, though, never denounced never got rid of the other things that Frisbee had left behind, the, the charismatic hippie lifestyles, the enjoyment between the world's music and really shallow Christian lyrics. In 1971, uh, starting out of Calvary Chapel, they started Maranatha Music. Maranatha, Maranatha Music was started to produce the music of those groups that we previously talked about, to produce their music and make it available to the public. And really... There is where we have the start of the contemporary Christian movement. It's a movement that claims to to truly be Christian, you have to remain contemporary. You have to stay modern, keep up with the times, to stay effective in sharing the love of God and combining the world's music 
with shallow Christian lyrics. The start of the Christian contemporary movement. So let's talk about how do we identify who is a part of, or what is, the Christian contemporary movement? How do we identify that? And I want to give you just a couple things, and we'll try and speed through the rest of what we've got today. We will go a little bit over time, but we'll finish it up as quick as possible. What are the earmarks of the contemporary Christian music? Well, I want you to know, number one, they use the world and its methods to promote their message. They use the world and its methods to promote their message. You'll find, first of all, they use the world's lifestyles. They use the world's lifestyle. There's no need to change the way you are. God will accept you as you are. There's no need to change. It's okay to live to live like the world if you're bringing people to Jesus. That's what they were telling. That's what they were sharing. That's what they were saying. I had a, a guy who claimed to be a missionary to Israel, and he said they would go to the discos. And he said, you could drink a ginger ale and it would work because nobody knew it was alcohol. Well, hello. I want somebody to know. I'm not drinking alcohol. I'm not saying you shouldn't drink ginger ale, but the point is, he said, you know, you just need to live like them. Live like them. You know, act like them, and you'll win more people. That's simply not true. Simply not true. Here's a a prominent guy within the Christian contemporary movement, and I will name some people today who are in this movement. Um, A man by the name of Michael W. Smith. You probably heard his name before. He said, quote, you're always going to have those very, very conservative people who say you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't drink, can't smoke. It's a pretty bizarre way of thinking. That's not what I said. That's what he said. I'm just quoting him. Here's what uh, a guy by the name of Mark Lowry, you heard that name before? Mark Lowry actually got saved under the ministry of Dr. Harold Clayton Sr. Um, In fact, at their summer camp, Johnny Pope was preaching, and Mark Lowry got saved. And um, But Mark Lowry's changed a lot since then. Here's what he said, quote, Preachers keep giving people a list of rules instead of, Love the Lord with all your heart, then do as you please. Because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, What you do is going to please God. Some people need a charismatic experience. Some need a Calvinist doctrine. Once again, that's not what I said, he said. That is what he said. He said it. He said, some need a charismatic experience. You can see how they're comfortable using the world's lifestyle in the life and example of Lonnie Frisbee alone. He lived a hippie lifestyle. He lived a homosexual lifestyle. He lived a drug lifestyle, all while trying to promote his message. So yeah, they use the world's lifestyle, but not only do they use that, they use the world's composition, the world's musical composition. They're okay with using jazz. They're okay with using heavy rock and roll. They're okay with using pop. They're okay with using hip-hop. They're okay with using rap as long as you say it's Christian. That's not the way it works. That's like saying Christian pornography, Christian smoking, Christian drinking, Christian adultery. Those don't fit. You can't take something of the world, put Christian in front of it, and say it's okay now. That's not the way it works, folks. But you'll find people within the Christian contemporary movement, they use the, the world's methods to try and promote their message. They use a worldly lifestyle, but they use the world's music as well. Here's what Danny Goodwin, he was a vice president of Virgin Records, he said this because they produced records for the Newsboys. When asked about producing music for the, uh, for the Newsboys, he said this, quote, Our position is whether these artists are Christians, Jews, Muslims, black, white, Albanian, or whatever, they're making great music. And that's what Virgin does. We're in the market to sell what we call quality music to the largest number of people we can. So they feel like 
they feel like the Newsboys. Here's a guy who produces music for the Rolling Stones, okay? And we talked about them last week in our episode. Um, Here's a guy who produces the worldly, wicked music and says the Newsboys are just as good as them. Oh, that should tell you something right there. Come on. And the problem is, Christians and points, especially within the Christian contemporary movement, have gotten comfortable using the monikers of the world's music to try to define our own. You say, what do you mean? Take um, the group Mercy Me. Probably heard of them before, Mercy Me. Their album, All That Is Within Me, is described as, and I quote, an exuberant, defiant, stand up and shake your fist at the devil rock and roll worship album. A thundering classic rock backdrop. Remember what Cheetah Magazine said in our very first lesson on the truth about music? Remember what they said about their own music? They said if the people knew what the, what the music, not the words, but the music was saying, they would rip it up, shred it, and not allow anybody to listen to it. That's what they said about their own music. And here's a quote-unquote Christian group ex- describing their album with the terms of rock and roll and a thundering rock, uh, classic rock backdrop. If you go to thefish.com, their album entitled Coming Up to Breathe, once again by Mercy Me, they said, they, they said this, quote, Mercy Me will rock you. They have gotten more upbeat and aggressive. On the same site, when you go to their album One Trick Pony, it's described as, quote, this bluesy country rock. Now you have three worldly music styles. This bluesy country rock swampy thing. A dirty sound. That's not what I said. That's what the world said. A dirty sound compared to all of their clean pop. Oh, there's a fourth. Clean pop stuff that we've done in the past. A dirty sound. Let me ask you, Christian, would you like it if your uh, music director got up on church and after you sang your congregational hymn said, boy, that was dirty. Great job, guys. No, that'd be horrible. That'd be horrible. The point is they're okay using the world's music to try and promote lyrics. Speaking of Mercy Me, I want to give this to you. Speaking of Mercy Me, I want you to listen to a quote by lead singer Bart Millard. He was the author of I Can Only Imagine, a very popular contemporary Christian song. Um, Here's what he's had to say about their concerts. He said, when you're on stage and the crowd starts going crazy, it's almost a little frightening. It's scary just from the sense that we've worked up to the point that we've done everything we could to call upon the name of the Lord, to have his presence there, and literally to be on holy ground in the midst of a living God. When all of the praise starts going all over the place, you really, you get really nervous about it being in the right direction. After a while, you start to wonder, are we, are they worshiping the Father? What exactly is going on? Folks, that is what he said of their concerts. Are we worshiping the Father? What exactly is going on? Striper was called one of the, quote, top Christian rock bands of all times and pioneers in the genre. It was founded by Michael and Robert Sweet. It was simply a a refashioning, really, of their secular rock band called Rock's Regime. And uh, they kept the same music, same attire, same everything. They just changed the words up a little bit. In fact, Robert Sweet admitted the following. He said, quote, As a matter of fact, the band was one thing that was making us turn and walk the opposite direction from Christianity. 
That's what he said. He said, because let's face it, when you're out there playing rock and roll and you're having a real good time doing your own thing, it's not that you hate God or anything. You just want to think about Christ. You just don't want to think about Christ because what he does is he exposes a lifestyle. If you're doing something you like doing and God says not to do it, then you're not going to pay attention. That's what he said. That's what he said. Number two, I find not only do they use the world's methods to promote their message, but number two, they promote the breaking down of doctrinal lines. Did you hear that? They promote the breaking down of doctrinal lines. We want to keep our doctrine high, don't we? Well, they promote breaking it down. Breaking it down. Removing the denominational lines. You know, Baptists can, they're just like Catholics, and Catholics are just like Presbyterians, and Presbyterians are just like Mormons, and we can all stand together and hold hands and worship the same God. That's simply not true. But they want to break it out, break it down. Kathy Trocoli, her I guess that's how you pronounce it, she's a prominent musician, a vocal Catholic. Um, she promoted the agenda of breaking down denominational lines in an album she produced, Love One Another. She was joined by 40 different musicians of all genres to sing a song about breaking down the walls that separate. She was joined by Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, Mark Lowry, Sandy Patty, Craig and Dean, Paul Van, Gary Chapman, Vestal Goodman, and Phil Joel of the Newsboys, to name a few. And they joined hand-in-hand hand singing, quote, Look around the world today, there is anger, there is hate. And I know that it grieves his heart when his people stand apart, because we're the only Jesus they will see. Love one another and live as one in his name. Love one another, we can tear down walls by his grace. And it really demonstrates the ecumenical agenda of Christian contemporary mu- um, music. The song witnessed Catholics, Pentecostals, Baptists, Church of God, non-denominationals, yoked together for, quote, Christian unity. Um, Chris Tomlin, heard his name before. Chris, Tom- Chris Tomlin talks about his goal of seeing all united. He said, quote, conservatives and charismatics can stand in one room listening to the same music, worshiping the one true God. Music unites. Music unites. Um, he, he's a big supporter of a ministry known as Alpha Course. Alpha Course, their founder, his name is um, Nicky Gumbel. He said this of their ministry, quote, We need to unite. The movement of the Spirit will always bring churches together. He is doing that right across denominations, and within their traditions, people are no longer labeling themselves or others. Hey, they want you. They want you to lower your standards. They want you to lower your doctrinal lines. They want you to lower these things. In the Casting Crown song, What This World Needs, they say this, quote, This world doesn't need my tie, my hoodie, my denomination, or my translation of the Bible. They just need Jesus. We can be passionate about what we believe, but we can't strap ourselves to the gospel. End quote. That's a ridiculous statement. We can't strap ourselves to the gospel. Hey, the gospel is my everything. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is my hope and righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm strapping myself to the gospel. I'll be the first to stand in line and say, hey, strap me down, Jesus, because I need it. I need it. Ridiculous. Stuart Townsend, he, was a, he is a contemporary hymn writer. He said this, quote, I'm excited about the fact that you can write something that actually feeds the broader church rather than just particular music um, pockets of the church. When he answered the question, he answered the question, somebody asked him, what would Jesus sing? He said this, quote, 
I think he would do, be doing thrash metal or hip-hop or something where we'd go, he can't do that, because I think he would be challenging our comfortable processions. I don't know what he would sing or whose songs he would sing, but I believe he would do it in a way that would surprise us and probably shock us. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, I would talk to you about some of the things Sandy Patty has said and done, but I won't go there. I'll just throw her name out. Uh, Michael Tate of the Newsboys, uh, the crazy hair guy. Uh, Tate played the lead part in the 2003 Hero Rock Opera Tour. Um, This tour depicted Jesus as a cool black man. And the Last Supper is a barbecue party, and Jesus is crucified on a city street sign. Yeah, that's the way they portray Jesus. They want you to lower your standards and lower your doctrine. Co-founder of the Newsboys, um, George Perticus, he published an article, article that's um, entitled, Now I'm an Atheist. He said this, quote, The truth is, from someone who knows what went on then and what goes on now, the Newsboys aren't as holy as they profess, end quote. That's what he said of his movement. And then um, number three, number three, not only do they use the world's methods, Not only do they try to um, lower the doctrinal lines, but number three, they openly promote and associate with the world. They openly promote and associate with the world. Go back to the standards we judge our music by. We're not supposed to promote or associate with the world. We're going to fly through this last part real quick. Uh, Striper founder Michael Sweet, he said this, quote, I'm a fan of all that stuff from the 80s, groups like Bon Jovi, Van Halen, Aerosmith. Musically, I like a lot of that stuff. But back when I was a kid, I grew up listening to um, listening to Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, Fats Domino, all the way to groups like Three Dog Night, Credence, Clearwater Revival was one of my favorite bands, and a group called Bad Company. I just love them, and Elvis, of course. What's he doing? He's pointing people back to the world. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Robert Sweet, uh, co-founder, said this. He said, my influences were the same as most everybody else's. I didn't listen to religious music. I was into Zeppelin and Kiss. All the hard rock bands were playing the music I loved. He said this, religious music always disappointed me. Hmm. Keith Getty, a very popular songwriter, he heaped praise on Bono of the Irish rock band U2. He called him, quote, a brilliant theological thinker and said that Bono was, quote, cares for a lot of things that Christ asks us to care about. He also said, quote, I love his passion for life and his passion for learning. Let me give you the truth about Bono. I know Keith Yeti was heaping praise on him. Let me give you the truth about him. He rarely attends church. When he does, he attends Glide Memorial United Methodist in San Francisco. The pastor there performs gay marriages, and some of their church celebrations include dancing with nudity. Bono says that heaven and hell is on earth and concludes that their existence is not real. Bono says that the older he gets, the more comfort he finds in Roman Catholicism. Bono hates fundamentalism, claiming that it is a a denial that God is love and, and calls it, in fact, vile names. Bill Flanagan, who traveled with U2, said in his authorized biography, he describes U2, the group, as heavy drinkers, constant visitors to bars, brothels, and nightclubs. Bono told the media that he and his bandmates planned to spend New Year's Eve 2000 in Dublin because, quote, Dublin knows how to drink. And then he also said this. He said, quote, I recently read in one of St. Paul's letters where it describes all the fruits of the Spirit, and I had none of them. That tells you he doesn't have the spirit, folks. That tells you he's not a brilliant theological thinker, and he doesn't care for a lot of the things that the Christ that Christ asks us to care about. 
Matt Redman, uh, when asked who are your musical influences, he replied in 2011, he said, all sorts, but my all-time favorite must be the Beatles. I love it now that my five kids even get into their music. Listen to me, if you listen to Beatles music, you've got problems. Problems. Because it's wicked. Absolutely wicked. You say, how do you know that? In his 1965 book, A Spaniard in the Works, John Lennon called Jesus Christ many wicked things I can't even repeat. And he blasphemed all three parts of the Godhead. In the song God, Lennon sang, quote, I don't believe in Bible. I don't believe in Jesus. I just believe in me, Yoko in me. That's reality. In John Lennon's song Imagine from 1971, he said, Imagine there's no heaven, no hell below us, above us only sky. No religion, too. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. And I could go on and on. Leslie Phillips, uh, she said that she loves the Beatles. She said the Beatles were the first rock group I remember hearing, and I dearly love them. They were spectacular, even in their mistakes. There was a spirit in that kind of music that we don't have today. Randy Stonehill said this of the Beatles. He said, really, it was after I saw the Beatles. I saw them on television when I was 12, and I knew that that was what I wanted to do. The Galactic Cowboys, yes, they're a group, said this, quote, I'd have to say that the Beatles are still the biggest influence on us all the way around. They were great songwriters and vocalists. Um, Here's some others. Here's some others who have listed the Beatles as an influence and, uh, and play their music. You've got Keith and Kristen Getty. You've got Michael W. Smith. You've got Jars of Clay. You've got John Michael Talbot. You've got Kevin Prosh, Tree 63, Mercy Me, Matt Mayer, Josh Wilson, and Stephen Curtis Chapman, just to name a few of a long, long list. You say, what's wrong with that? Here's the deal. You say you like the Beatles, to all your listeners, you know what some of your listeners are going to do? They're going to go listen to the Beatles. They're going to go listen to the Beatles. You know what's going to happen? They're going to fall into the world's music. It's a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block. We don't give, we don't give credit to the world, people. We don't give credit to Satan. We don't give credit to Satan's movement. Now, I'll be honest with you, I have 10 more pages of information um, of groups and things they've said, but I think that'll suffice for today. How do you know if somebody's a part of the Christian contemporary movement? Well, I ask you this. Are they using the world and its methods to promote their message? Are they using the world's lifestyle? Are they using the world's composition? Number two, are, are they promoting the breaking down of doctrinal lines? And then number three, are they openly promoting and associating with the world? You do your research. You'll find a lot of these groups who travel around. They are openly promoting and associating with the world. We can't listen to to their music. Because it violates the standards we should judge our music by. So the truth about music. Is there good music Christians can listen to? Absolutely. Is there a lot of it? Absolutely. There's a lot of selections, a lot of things you can listen to. And speaking of good, Christ-honoring music that we as Christians can listen to, there are Christmas selections for you as well. And of course, today during the holiday season, we'll be playing a Christmas song at the end of every episode up until Christmas. And so today, I play for you the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, one of my favorites. And um, this is from the CD entitled, A Christ-Centered Christmas. A Christ-Centered Christmas by somebody that you as a listener should know well by now. That would be Dr. Scott 
Cottle, of course, the president and director of Macedonia World Baptist Missions. Wonderful singer, wonderful musician. And so this is from his CD, A Christ-Centered Christmas. We'll be playing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And you can buy the CD if you go to www.drscottcoddle.com. Again, that's www.drscottcoddle.com. Simply go to the online store and you can purchase A Christ-Centered Christmas there. Of course, it has this song today, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and we use this song with permission from Dr. Cottle and thank him for that. And so today... As you continue your Christmas season, I pray that you have a wonderful Merry Christmas. Continue to focus on listening to good Christ-honoring music. And to help you with that theme, there's a Christmas CD that you can go and buy. Again, that's A Christ-Centered Christmas at the drscottcoddle.com. And so as you listen to that song today, let me encourage you, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ. Jesus, our Emmanuel. 